coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, I am going to tell you everything that you need to know. And I'm talking everything. I'm talking all of the things that you need to know for life, everything that I've learned as a marriage and family therapist, that and more. Okay, I guess what's more than everything. Let me try that again. That coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch. Episode 215 of The Virtual Couch. I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultramarathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anybody that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based, hold the shame, become the person you always wanted to be way, then head over to pathbackrecovery.com. And there you can download an ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to put pornography behind them once and for all. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And I'm getting more questions at contact at tonyoverbay.com. And I am preparing for a very big question and answer episode. So please continue to send any questions, therapy related, anything podcast related, whatever it is, to contact at tonyoverbay.com. And uh, you can also follow me on Instagram at virtualcouch as well as uh, Facebook, Tony Overbay, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. And please go to TonyOverbay.com. Big change is coming. It's that thing where, yeah, I, I don't know if you've, uh, you, you know that this change is coming, and so you, know, you just want to get that change out there right away. I want to send people to TonyOverbay.com to sign up for my newsletter because it is going to tell you all kinds of things about an upcoming marriage course, way to have a better connected marriage, magnetic marriage, these just connected conversations. And uh, I can't wait to get the the word out about that. So go to TonyOverbay.com and sign up to find out more. You'll be the first one to know. But uh, my whole point there is a big website revamp is coming. And so when I'm sending people there, I want to say, um, don't pay attention to the, the site itself. There's something really cool coming, I promise. And uh, but but go find uh, go sign up there today. TonyOverbay.com. You'll find out more as uh, as soon as you can, as soon as I can, as soon as I make it aware, make it known. Um, let me. I I, I was going to cut that, and I probably will cut that in the podcast. But uh, I'm also filming today's episode, and and I'm doing this with a bit of a purpose. One of the one of the things I want to do is try to get these episodes a little more just tight, a little more. Um, to the point and, and not have them drag on. And I'm finding that now that I know that I am being recorded, that uh, to go on my YouTube channel, which is the Virtual Couch YouTube channel, I am rambling. So let me get to today's podcast. Today's podcast, if you heard in the opener, I titled it Everything That I Know. And that, I know, is is a pretty big, ambiguous, broad concept or, or topic. But I've been jotting down a lot of notes over the last probably two to three weeks. It, it hasn't been a long time. And I really thought that, you know, there's there's these areas that I feel very passionate about. If you listen to the podcast for a while, there's a couples therapy model, emotionally focused therapy. There's an individual therapy model, acceptance and commitment therapy. I work a lot with people that are struggling with addictions of all sorts. And I like to talk about these voids in people's lives, voids where they don't feel connected in their marriage or as a parent, or in their career, or their health, uh, or in their faith. I do a lot with faith journey, faith crisis, and these are all things that I feel like I could just um, speak on for for hours, days, and uh, just not run out of things that I would love to talk about. But then as I started to write these things down, I started to kind of just, I wanted to start putting down just uh, things that I feel very passionate about from therapy. And I've got this list now that's about, uh, I think it's up to about 25 items 
And I realized, man, there's a, there's a lot here that in my mind, it all just starts to flow together. And so I wanted to put things down on paper. And then in the process of doing that, I really wanted to, to do a multiple part podcast on everything that I know. And so I don't have a script. Uh, I'll hold this up for my camera. I have a nice Google document that has a lot of the things that I know. But I want to just start with these. And uh, and I mentioned earlier I'm filming. And I, I grabbed a, an SD card that if I'm going to record at high definition video, it gives me about 30 minutes. So that is what I'm going to try to do is do as many of these things that I know in 30 minutes. And then if that leads to a part two or part three, then then I will go down that path. So let me get right to it. And I also found a really cool transcription service. I think it's called Sonics, uh, S-O-N-I-X. And if you go to TonyOverbay.com or if you go to virtualcouch.xyz and assume to be virtualcouch.com, as a matter of fact, we'll point you to the podcast as well. At the end of the, the post that will share all things podcast related, I have the transcripts of every episode, whether it's with an interview or something that I'm doing solo. And so it's machine generated transcript, but it's a really good one. So I, I want to eventually turn this into a blog post, a document, that sort of thing as well. But you will be able to go there whenever this is posted um, and, and see the transcript, this machine generated transcript of the things that I'm talking about today. So let me jump right in with every the first thing of everything that I know is I like to say, imagine, imagine a world where we start with the story of you're not broken. You're not broken. You're then fill in the blank, fill in your name. I'm Tony. You're not broken. Uh, you're you. And and here's the significance there. And this is why I wanted to talk about, again, everything that I know. The significance is I was trained, as I believe a lot of therapists are in grad school, as a cognitive behavioral therapist. And I want you to know right now, the last thing I want to do is uh, is pick a psychological turf war of cognitive behavioral therapy versus acceptance and commitment therapy. So I'm everything I'm going to share today, and, and I want you to know in the 214 podcast that I've done up to this point, I try to make everything evidence-based uh, information. I want to bust pop psychology myths, and I want to typically point to a study or a, an article that is based on research and then give my opinion on it. And that's been a very intentional uh, part of my podcast so that, that people know that this isn't just me flying off the handle or, or just spouting pop psychology views that I think are important. But today I'm going to do a little bit of that, but I want you to know everything that I know, I feel like I have gathered from these episodes of the podcast that I've shared or in therapy or in trainings. And so there's some, some good data behind the things I'm going to share today. So let me get back to this acceptance and commitment therapy versus cognitive behavioral therapy. So cognitive behavioral therapy is an amazing model. And you can see in the video, I've got a bookshelf behind me, and I probably have a dozen cognitive behavioral therapy books there. It's the I mean, I view it as the fundamentals of therapy. And very simply put, in a nutshell, it, it kind of says that your thoughts lead to your emotions and your emotions lead to your behaviors. So it's uh, CBT. Thoughts lead to emotions, emotions to behaviors. So your thoughts, there's some really cool acronyms in cognitive behavioral therapy, things like ANTS, automatic negative thoughts, or you want to get rid of the stinking thinking. I love things that rhyme. So I, I practiced as a hardcore cognitive behavioral therapist for about seven years. And what, what that looks like, and, and a lot of times you'll see a lot of motivational speakers, maybe a lot of life coaches, and a lot of therapists that you'll, you'll recognize are kind of working from this CBT model. And that's saying that, you know, you're coming into a situation and your thoughts are automatic negative thoughts or your thoughts are their irrational thoughts. And they're kind of viewed from this. Uh, they're coming from this place of the past where you might have, 
you know, bringing some things from childhood or your teenage years or some uh, deep abandonment or rejection or those sort of things. So you're coming into a situation and your thoughts are automatically negative. So the game's already rigged. So in cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, I like to give this example because this was very real. When I did my first acceptance and commitment therapy training, I was, again, hardcore cognitive behavioral therapist. And I had a client that came into me, I want to say mid-20s or so, maybe late-20s, suffering with some social anxiety. And this client uh, was, was at the time that I was meeting with this client, they were, they were in pretty good shape. But they had spent their entire childhood very overweight. They were obese. And so they would enter a room and uh, people would look at them. They, they really would. They would turn and look at this person. And it would cause this person to feel extreme shame and guilt. And they would want to withdraw. So I'm working with that person as a cognitive behavioral therapist. And what that would look like in CBT is, you know, your thoughts are automatically automatic negative thoughts that are kind of rooted in your past. So now, you you know, this person's lost 100 pounds. So when they walk into the room and everybody looks at them, you would say, okay, you know, what's happening there? Well, they're all looking at me. And uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, they all think I look bad. They all think I look fat. So then you would challenge that automatic negative thought and say, okay, what are some other, what are some other thoughts that might be occurring? Because that thought that, Hey, they think I look fat led to that, that thought led to an emotion of, of kind of shame. And that led to a behavior of wanting to exit the room. So the theory was that if you change that automatic negative thought, you reframe that thought and said, okay, or maybe they're looking at you thinking you look pretty good. Or maybe they're looking at you and, and uh, maybe they're not looking at you. Maybe they're, maybe they're looking at the fact that the door squeaks really loud when you open it. But so you, you change that thought, you know, so you try to change that thought, which would then in theory lead to an emotion of, okay, well, I feel pretty good about that then. I feel happy. I feel content. I feel confident or calm, which would lead to a behavior of I'm going to enter the room. But I go to this acceptance and commitment therapy training at this time and uh, because as a cognitive behavioral therapist, you have a lot of books and worksheets and these things where you're having people work on reframing these thoughts or kind of recognizing where these these automatic negative thoughts are rooted and then challenging those thoughts and positive affirmations and, and wake up in the morning and, you know, I'm going to think these positive thoughts or I'm going to think these happy thoughts and I can do this and it's going to be a completely different experience. And, and what would happen? And oftentimes that works wonderfully for a client. But I think, and I've talked to so many therapists about this, and I've received so many emails when I talk about this concept of acceptance and commitment therapy, but too often people would then come back into my office a week, two weeks later, I would say, how did that go? They would say, okay, I, I went to another event. I walked in the room, people looked at me, they, I, I felt a bit of panic and I tried to tell myself, okay, they think I look good. And then my brain would say, no, no, they don't. And then I would feel like, oh my gosh, I can't even can't even change these thoughts that I've been working on. I've been practicing this. I've been doing positive affirmations. Things are on my mirror and I can't make it happen. So what is wrong with me? So in acceptance and commitment therapy, what kind of blew my mind was I go to this training and they, they gave a very similar situation, but here's the way that would look in acceptance and commitment therapy, that this person is the only person, the only version of that person that's ever walked the face of the earth. Let's call that person Chris. Could be male, could be female. So Chris is Chris. Chris is the only person that has gone into that situation, that point in life, walking into that room as the only version of Chris that has ever walked the face of the earth based on their birth order, uh, their DNA, abandonment, nature, nurture, uh, rejection, hopes, dreams, fears, moves, losses, all of that. That's, that is that person, Chris. That is who that person is. So what if we looked at that as they had the thoughts and the feelings and emotions that they had because they are them and because they are human. 
So do you see why this is one of the first things of everything I know that I think is so important? What if you're starting with the story? If you're not broken, you're Chris. So if you didn't open that door and have everybody look at you and you think, holy cow, they're looking at me, that'd kind of be nuts because that's, that is, those are the feelings that you're having. And so that acceptance piece was, was pretty significant. So instead of starting this story with the, okay, uh, my thoughts are broken, my thoughts are automatically negative, and I just need to change them, it's starting by saying, my thoughts are there because I'm a human being and I've been the only person that's been me. So I have these thoughts and feelings and emotions that I have. So of course I feel this way. I, I often add, and uh, this is my own take on that, but I would say if you didn't feel that way, uh, you, you might be a robot or a psychopath. And I don't think you're either one. And no offense to robots or even psychopaths that are listening. So, so there's that number one. Start with that story of you're not broken. You're Chris, you're Tony, you're you fill in your name of who's listening here. So, which I think leads to my second thing of everything that uh, I know, you are a product of everything that you have been through. I alluded to that just a second ago. So you think and feel and do because you are you. And I didn't even realize that was going to rhyme. And I mentioned earlier, I like rhyming things. So that's kind of fun. Um, so, so there's the first two things that I know. And, and as a matter of fact, I wanted to kind of give myself a little bit of freedom to continue to explore in these individual points of things that I know. So one more thing I would add to that, and actually I probably have this down the list. I'm pretty confident that I do, but so you're you, let's start with the story of you're not broken. That's that acceptance. And so one of the most difficult things I think we can, we have is then when people tell us what to do, Hey, you just need to change your thoughts. Or, or you just need to look at things differently, then we have this built in, and I, I do have this down on the list. I, I think it might be in this top 10. Um, and now I think it's going to be a list will be a, maybe a part. No, it's number 10. So I don't know if we'll get to this today, but well, we're going to do it right now. So I, I literally am getting to this right now. But it's uh, get to know about psychological reactance. That is one of my favorite new fancy psychological phrases now. Psychological reactance, a.k.a. the instant negative reaction of being told what to do. Uh, psychologists believe that it is built in within us. It is innate with, within us. It's there to protect us. This immediate, somebody says, you need to do this. Then we immediately go, uh, maybe I don't. You know, I don't need to do that. I mean, we know, we know that's what we do. I mean, you can be um, a, an amazingly creative and clever and intelligent adult and someone is telling you, I think it'd be a good idea if you eat your vegetables. And you're like, I don't have to eat them. I can eat candy corn all day if I want. I mean, that's that psychological reactance that's built within us. And, th- and it's actually a really key uh, piece of, it's so innate when, within us that our own brain is aware of that. This is why thought suppression doesn't work. When you tell yourself, don't think of the pink elephant with wings, your brain's like, I will think of the pink elephant with wings now, thank you. So get to know that concept of psychological reactance. And I think it goes with those first two things that uh, that I know. That what if we start with the story of you're not broken? And number two, you're a product of everything that you have been through. So therefore, when someone says you just need to fill in the blank, that's why we, we have this kind of like uh, pushback. Because I, I don't have to do that. This is my psychological reactance speaking. And as a matter of fact, I have these... Uh, uh, completely unfounded, unscientific theories that a teenager's psychological reactance muscle is very strong. And so I think that's why I always make the joke of, you know, with your teenager, you could say, uh, hey, son, here's a hundred dollar bill. And they're like, back off, old man. I don't have to take your money. I'm like, OK, no problem. So that psychological reactance is uh, is one of the things I think that uh, that is important to know. Okay, before I get to the third thing 
of what I know that I think that would be helpful for you to know, I'm going to try to do the world's quickest um, betterhelp.com ad. So uh, curious about the world of online therapy, having a hard time getting into the office, especially in the worldwide pandemic, afraid of running into people in the waiting room, try betterhelp.com slash virtual couch and try what nearly a million people have done now. You will have access to licensed professional counselors, therapists in your area that specialize in all kinds of modalities, CBT, um, acceptance and commitment therapy, EFT. They can help you with things like anxiety, depression, OCD, um, just kind of processing uh, grief, loss, all kinds of things like that. So if you are interested in, in therapy, but maybe aren't quite ready to venture out into someone's waiting room, or if the you're, you're having a hard time finding somebody that um, that is affordable or is available, then give betterhelp.com slash virtual couch a try. There's uh, there's even some uh, some scholarships there if uh, if you don't have the funds and they I believe they have a sliding scale and you can be communicating with a therapist through email or text or phone or video within sometimes 24 to 48 hours. So try betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. You'll get 10% off your first month's um, uh, appointments. And uh, there we go. We're done. Back to number three of everything I know. The the third thing on my list of everything I know is uh, I borrowed it from Stephen Covey. I didn't borrow it. I, I took it. Um, I, I, want, I don't want to say I stole it, but seek first to understand before being understood. And uh, and the very quick backstory, and, and I know I've said this on a couple of other podcasts, I thought that came from the Bible. So I, there was a good year span where, you know, I was doing the, you know, uh, as the Bible says, seek first to understand before being understood. Now, the concept is brilliant. The concept is one that is 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 all about empathy. So, um, and the follow-up to that is I not only went from the Bible says, I found myself even thinking, I bet you Paul said that, you know, in the New Testament probably. So I think I even got to the point where I'm like, you know, as Paul said to the Corinthians, seek first to understand before being understood. So then one day I, I thought, you know, it'd be nice to throw a little bit of a scripture and verse to that. So I'll sound very smart. So I Google it and find out that it's Stephen Covey that said that. So uh, for about a year there. Um, but the best part was people would kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah, Paul. Yeah, I think that's right. I even spoke at an event not too long ago where I shouldn't have done this. Um, and I'm shooting on myself. I, I felt bad about doing this, but I did say, hey, uh, where in the Bible does it say, seek first to understand before being understood? It was a bunch of religious leaders that I was doing some training for. And I wish I would have just stopped them because the lot, I believe it's in, and people were quoting it. I mean, they were, they were finding it. They were flipping through their books. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. It's seven habits of highly effective people. But the significance of seek first to understand before being understood is oftentimes we feel that we do. We feel that we know everything. We know everything about our partner. We know everything about our kid. We know everything about a situation. But it doesn't hurt to, to pause, to step back and to say, Hey, uh, tell me about your day or tell me what's going on. And and here's the example. And again, I've given this one in other podcasts, but I feel so passionate about this because unfortunately, this is a very real example. I was doing some couples therapy and uh, there had been this agreement of some some roles in the family, things that were going to happen. And and so husband comes home and uh, wife had not done things that they had they had agreed upon. So I don't want to get into a you know, the, some some homes, uh, gender roles can be different or that sort of thing. This was one where they were they were in agreement that uh, the wife would, would take care of some things, one of them being dinner. So husband comes home, wife is there uh, at table scrolling through her phone, and uh, we maybe had a session or two where they would talk about their frustrations about phone and electronic devices. And he gets really angry. And uh, man, what are you doing all day? You know, just sitting around on your on your bottom and the, the dinner's not cooked, all that sort of thing. And then um, she says, hey, uh, my best friend passed away. So I've been scrolling through the my phone trying to find some pictures for a memorial. 
And I, I, I still remember to this day that session and just the heaviness as they were processing this. And the guy said, I can't believe I did that. Like I've, I've learned my lesson. So um, as a matter of fact, when I'm working with a lot of people, it, it, back to this kind of this similar role, um, I've had a lot of times where a guy will come home and he'll say, hey, what have you been up to today? And then we processed in therapy that that's a trigger because, you know, the wife who maybe has uh, little kids running around or has her, her hands full throughout the day feels like he's saying, uh, what in the heck did you do all day? So even there, we've kind of worked it with a lot of guys on reframing that to say, walking in the door and saying, you know, hey, what can I do to help? I mean, that's such a such a nice way to reframe that and uh, and, and just kind of have both of the, the people not feel like triggered or feel like uh, there's this this heaviness when when the husband gets home or you know, re- reverse the roles when the wife gets home. So seek first to understand before being understood. Number four is, uh, and I'm doing a time check. I still got about uh, 10 minutes that I'm going to do. Number four, strive for empathy, but know that complete empathy is impossible. And uh, that sounds like an all or nothing statement, but stay with me. You'll never truly understand what anybody is going through or thinking or feeling because you'll never be them. I'll go to another example, a training example. I had been asked to go do some training with some, some again, uh, leadership, clergy, religious leadership in, in my area. And one of the things I did was I went and they were, it was a, it was a situation where it was kind of the, the relation the, the responsibilities were being passed from a, from a leader down to a kind of a lower level leader, uh, more rank and file leader, however you would want to put that. And I was going to tote out psychological reactants, the instant negative reaction of being told what to do, what we talked about earlier. The reason being, because a lot of times when, let's say there's somebody that's been trained and or, or blessed or set apart or those sort of things in this ecclesiastical leadership position, uh, then they just, they say, okay, now I'm going to hand off this responsibility to somebody that maybe hasn't been in that position as long or hasn't been trained in that position. So they often go out and immediately say, here's what you need to do to the people that now they have stewardship over, the people that they are trying to work with. So here comes that psychological reactance. People are saying, well, you know, I don't have to do that. So I was, I was explaining psychological reactance and I was also talking about empathy. And I gave my example of empathy versus sympathy and sympathy is basically saying, I'm so sorry that happened. And empathy is, is trying to really get in there and say, Hey, tell me about what, what's happening. Tell me what this is like for you. I want to, I want to, I want to hear you. Tell me what's going on for you. And I did have a person and he ended up being so funny and so wonderful, but he said, he literally, it was like, couldn't be scripted better, raises his hand and says, but what do you do if you do know what they're going through? If you do know what would be best for them? And, uh, and I said, okay, uh, tell me, tell me more about that. Tell me about your, your situation or your example. And, and again, it sounds like I'm just writing this from central casting, as they say in, uh, in Hollywood. But the person said, well, I'm, I'm working with a single mom and she has uh, little kids and I know she's frustrated, but I told her, I said, look, I've been there. You know, um, I, I had little kids. Uh, my wife would leave, uh, she would, she would take off with her friends and I would have them for a weekend and I, I know what you're going through. And, and I think the rest of the crowd kind of, uh, heard where I probably knew where I was going to go with this, but I, I just said, okay, so you are equating your situation as a dad who had the kids for a weekend while, you know, your wife went up to Tahoe with, uh, this woman's, um, plight of a s- single motherhood whose, um, husband had left the picture. She struggled financially. And uh, she worked uh, little bits here and there, had to struggle for babysitters and, you know, had these little kids that she felt overwhelmed by. And uh, so, uh, you know, I think the point was kind of made that pure empathy. How can we ever understand truly what someone has gone through? As parents, we're, we're really bad about this at times where we say, hey, champ, I was a teenager once as well. 
I had to do hard things. I had to, you know, get out there and talk to people when I didn't want to, or, you know, I had to walk and pound the pavement and hand in resumes and all these things that, that aren't necessarily applicable today. Some of those lessons, those concepts of putting yourself out there and dealing with uncomfortable are fantastic concepts, timeless concepts. But, uh, but kids are, are coming from a lot different, uh, a much different place these days. I mean, I know I sound like the old man when I say that, but I mean, truly, um, one of the trainings I did over a year ago doing some consulting talked about how the generations of, of kids uh, is, is expanding at such a rapid rate. It's kind of mimicking this, uh, this technology curve. So technology is just exploding. You know, hard drives are doubling in size. Microprocessors are doubling in speed almost uh, within a few weeks or months where it used to be years. And so are our kids are, are that much further away from us. I often like to say that when I was interacting with my parents, they were talking about records and I, and I was, I was talking about a CD, but the good news was I still had records. I knew what they were talking about. So while I would still have this psychological reactance or pushback, and at the end of the day, that good old cliche, we still were speaking a bit of the same language. Well, now I'm talking about CDs and I'm talking to my kids who have grown up with a phone being an extension of who they are or uh, streaming services or uh, DoorDash or, or just instant, instantaneous. Um, uh, they have things right there, uh, it, just instant access to to entertainment, to to just everything that they need, even friends. I mean, I can't imagine the pressure of trying to feel like I have to connect with uh, so many people through um, whether it's a Snapchat or Instagram or texting or that sort of thing. And so unfortunately, as parents, when we say, hey, bud, I know what you're going through. You know, I used to I used to have a hard time kind of staying in contact with my friends. Well, it was like I had a phone with a cord and uh, I could drive. You know, I remember driving to a gym that was about 20 miles away and I had no cell phone. My parents had no idea where I was. And I remember I would get to my friend's house, try to call. But if they weren't home, I mean, you know, I'd leave a message on the answering machine. And uh, and so and every now and again, the answering machine wouldn't work. And, you know, couldn't text. Anyway, so when we're saying, I know what you're going through, champ, bless our hearts, but we don't exactly know what we're going through. So that leads to that, you know, the one I went to earlier, seek first to understand before being understood. Had an amazing conversation with uh, one of my daughters years ago who talked about how hard it was to get homework done when her friends were continually texting her and asking her about answers and, and that sort of thing. Now, of course, every bit of me wanted to say, I'm taking your phone, you know, turn off your phone. But I knew that that would that would give this psychological reactance. My goal was the relationship with my daughter. And so I was saying, tell me more about that. Tell me, tell me what that's like. That must be hard. Hey, is there anything I can do to help? I wonder if it would help if, uh, I don't know if I kind of, if I, I don't know if I kept your phone in the other room while you did homework or that sort of thing. And I want to say that, Oh, and she said, yeah, that would be great. And went on to become a Rhodes scholar and is now, you know, serving in the United States legislature. It didn't quite go that, that way, but she just said, no, you know what? I need to just um, put my phone on do not disturb or or that sort of thing. And I felt like that conversation was a very powerful one because I really did want to know what that was like. And I couldn't, I can't imagine what that would be like. And me just telling her, here's what you need to do is going to give us that psychological reactance, which is not going to lead to her going, uh, oh my gosh, you're right. I think I'll do that. Never thought about that. Um, I got time for one more. Uh, I really believe this one, this one's hard. I, I've been running these by some clients the last few days and, and it's been really fun, almost like an assessment tool. And this one, this one's been really interesting. I, I put own your own blank. People could say own your own stuff, own your own crap, own your own whatever. Um, and I just mean by that, by, by take accountability for things that you've done or things that you've said. It is scary. It can feel uncomfortable. It's one of the most difficult things I think that people can do. But my goodness, it, it can feel so liberating. What I wrote down is 
you know, own your own fill in the blank. You'll be surprised at how quickly difficult moments or conversations or situations will pass when you simply start with things like, you know what? I did do that. Or yeah, admittedly, that's what I was thinking. It'll be, it can be, it'll be uncomfortable for a minute. I'll, I'll give you that. But the power of just knowing that I'm being honest, I'm being authentic. I don't have to remember these stories I have to tell. I don't have to go to somebody else and, and say, oh my gosh, I told this person this and this person this. So, you know, if you broke the whatever, own it. I mean, oh, I had a bad example of this too. Uh, scraped a rental car when my son and I were going to uh, NBA. Uh, we, back before the world went wacky, we would fly down to Vegas and go watch this NBA Summer League games and just had a blast. It was this boys weekend and, and it was so much fun. And I scraped uh, up this rental car <laughs> up the side. I mean, there was no way I could not own it. But I have to tell you, I still, even driving the rental car back, there was this part of me that thought, well, they notice. And I don't know if I ever want to show you how silly this thought process was. I'll go dig up the pictures of it. Oh, they were going to notice. But I still thought, oh, my gosh. And so it was it was honestly, it was liberating. I mean, I did it. I knew I did it. I had insurance. Um, I didn't get the extra insurance. So, I mean, it did. It, it cost me a little bit out of pocket. But I and I remember trying to teach that lesson to my son of just saying, uh, hey, Jake. Um, yeah, I totally did it. So we walk right in. And of course, I say to the car person, hey, uh, let me show you this. Like uh, how? And, and then it was kind of interesting, too. I turned into an interviewer or a therapist and I, and I said, how often does this happen? How often are people scraping up cars? Or and he's like, oh, every day. I mean, and I just remember feeling like that, that normalized things a bit. My insurance company was wonderful. It still took a little while to get everything worked through. But I owned it. I mean, that was that was my bad. Or, you know, you drop something, you break something, you don't do something, you forget to do something. That's the one that I feel like is the easiest one to practice on. Um, when people will say, hey, did you do this? And, you know, I want to do the things like, oh, uh, I didn't get your email or that sort of thing. But it's like, oh, man, I didn't. I'm so sorry. It's done. You know, um, I struggle with that a lot. I get a whole lot of texts. And so I, for a while there, you know, there's that tendency to want to say, oh, I didn't see your text. Um, there are ones I honestly don't see. And I'm trying to get better about that. But I need to own that. I need to own own it and say, man, I did see that and I didn't get a chance to get back to you or, you know, but but own it. Own whatever it is that you need to own because that is such a big, powerful, important part of healing. So, hey, uh, exam- here we go. Experiment number one done. Part one, I got through five, kind of six. I talked about reactants. So I talked about starting with the story of, hey, you're not broken. You're you. You're not. And if you weren't you, you'd be a robot or a psychopath. Uh, number two, you're a product of everything that you've been through. So you think and feel and do because you're you. And yes, that rhymes. Number three, seek first to understand before being understood. Thank you, Stephen Covey. Although I'm sure Paul probably said something similar back in old, uh, New Testament times. Number four, strive for empathy and know that uh, complete empathy <clears throat> is is it's uh, impossible because you'll never know exactly what somebody else is going through. And uh, learn about psychological reactance, this instant negative reaction of being told what to do. And own your own stuff, and you'll be surprised at how quickly even these difficult moments will pass. All right, then my camera is going to shut off any moment. Um, I'm going to take us away with the wonderful, the talented Aurora Florence with the song that I absolutely love. It's wonderful, and I really did enjoy this, and I can't wait to, to get a part two out, and I'll try to do that in the next uh, week or two. And I think at this rate, we're probably going to have about uh, 10 parts. So have an amazing, wonderful day. I'll see you next time on The Virtual Couch. flying past our heads and out the other end the pressures of the daily grind it's wonderful elastic waste and rubber ghost i'm floating past the midnight hour they push aside the things that matter